they have like 30 pens or whatever, and then everybody who had played some sort of role in that gets a pen then. So okay. Eric and I negotiated this deal, and Brandon was a part of it, and Greg Hill, our producer, you know, and everybody gets a pen yeah, then. as but a memento. It appeared he just picked it up and signed it, and there was this stack of pens right next to him <laughs> that he didn't use. It's not the same. So they'll just be symbolic pens. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in downtown Milwaukee, this is Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's your host, Vince Vetrano. 612 on this June 21st, first day of summer. I'm sure there's like a specific time when summer starts or yeah, something. Yeah, like there that, always right? is. It's like 11, 13 or something like that. Most significantly, we get more than 15 hours of daylight today, which is why folks will refer today the summer solstice as the longest day of the year. And three extra hours in the day. So it's 27 hour yeah, day. Right. Don't text. <laughs> no, when we say it's the no. longest day, we just meant the sunlight. Longest the sunlight. Daylight. And they are partying overseas. Yes, druids, pagans, hippies, and more. Local residents and tourists celebrating colorful costumes, even some wearing antlers as they celebrate at Stonehenge. Stonehenge is a place where oftentimes many people will go to celebrate the summer solstice or the winter solstice. Here's a little bit more for you. Ewok Village. No, that's not the Reconnaissance Fair. It's not Kenosha. <laughs> you call it's it a- the Reconnaissance Fair. <laughs> yeah. That's a totally different festival, let me tell you something. Sorry, to- <laughs> The <laughs> Renaissance Fair, I believe, you, is what we were looking for. My goodness. Um, yeah, so no <laughs> sacrifices. Sounds like a convention. No sacrifices, nothing too crazy at Stonehenge, but a lot of people, thousands of people, at dawn, the sun rose behind what is known as the Heel Stone in the northeast part of the horizon. And the first rays shone into the heart of Stonehenge, one of the world's most famous prehistoric monuments and a world heritage site. And the Old National Bank talk and text line delivers. Summer starts at 9.58. There it is. There it is. 6.14. Brandon's got sports coming up next. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. Following their tough loss on Monday night, the Milwaukee Brewers found themselves behind yet once again, this time down 5-4 to four in the seventh inning. That's when William Contreras came to the plate and helped turn the tide for the Brew Crew. Contreras is lined into left center field. This is going to plug the gap. It one hops the wall. Two runs are going to score. Contreras into second, and the Brewers lead it 6-5. to five. Lane Grindle on the call right here on WTMJ. As Contreras hit a two-run double to put Milwaukee ahead for good as the Brewers complete their largest come-from-behind win, a four-run deficit to beat the Arizona Diamondbacks by a final score of 7-5 to five on Tuesday night. Big hit, obviously, was Williams' you know, double, which was huge. Um, but but Owens, Owens' tack on hit, uh, Willie, beat, Willie beating, the, beating the double play. So there was a lot of big plays, and um, we just ball and play you know, when we needed it. The Brewers will go for the series win later this afternoon. Coverage gets underway right here on WTMJ beginning at 1235. Over the NFL, where things in Green Bay could look a little bit different in 2023, Aaron Rodgers is gone. Jordan Love is in. Count Packers pass rusher Preston Smith as one who is ready for the world to see Jordan. He got a lot of great, great quarterback attributes, and I feel like he'll be great. You know, just got to let him get in there, get comfortable, and, and get the floor because I've seen him make some great athletic throws. I seen him do a lot of things in practice that I was like, hey, that kid, he's almost ready, you know, in the past. And I feel like now 
the Packers believe in him. The team believes in him. A lot of guys believe in him, and we believe you know he's ready to lead his team. On Smith offense. joined NFL Total Access on Tuesday as the Packers will get their look at Love beginning in a few weeks with training camp set to begin on July 25th. And lastly, the NBA draft is ready to tip off tomorrow night. The Bucks owning just one selection so far, number 58th overall. The big focus for John Horse and company is their own roster. Chris Middleton has a until June 29th to accept or decline the $40 million player option on his deal. And Brooke Lopez is heading towards free agency. He will be free to negotiate with any team after July 1st. Coming up, the city of Milwaukee and Milwaukee County can extend sales taxes under a new bill just signed into law by the governor. But will they? That story next. At 621, the historic state shared revenue plan signed into law by Governor Tony Evers. Eric, you're going to love how this thing started. Ernie? Everybody good? Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here in Wausau. I want to begin today by thanking Wausau Mayor Rosenberg and everybody here at the Wausau Fire Department and Station 2 for hosting us today. Wait, let me get you, get you the front end of that again. This is right before the governor gets on mic. Here, like, dunk, bang the mic and check and make sure everybody's everybody good. <laughs> everybody good. Well, they were they were good in a ceremony at a Wausau firehouse. You heard the governor talk about that, Governor Evers. I hate the phrase, but put pen to paper after some encouragement from State Revenue Secretary Peter Barca. Now, for the moment, we're all here for Governor. We look forward to you signing that bill. Let's give him a round of applause. Here we are. Whoa-ho! Whoa-ho! Barca liked it. <laughs> that was all right. Whoa-ho! So how many pens did he use to sign? So I, he had pens, but I didn't feel like, you know, when, when uh, officials sign bills, they have like 30 pens or whatever, and then everybody who had played some sort of role in that gets a pen then. So Okay. Eric and I negotiated this deal, and Brandon was a part of it, and Greg Hill, our producer, you know, and everybody gets a pen yeah, then. as but a memento. It appeared he just picked it up and signed it, and there was this stack of pens right next to him <laughs> that he didn't use. It's not the same. So they'll just be symbolic pens. Uh, this morning, though, open questions remain about whether Milwaukee will follow through on the sales tax provision, touted as the lifeboat for city and county finances, which are nearing a fiscal cliff. More on that in a moment, Bill. First, the governor said he's been working on this for years. Two weeks ago, I reached agreement with Republican leaders on major provisions of a shared revenue compromise, key portions of which I'm signing into law today. That will mean not only historic increases in support for our local communities, but historic investments in our kids and our schools across Wisconsin. So the plan increases payments to state... Local cities, towns, villages, and counties, so everybody gets a piece of that increased shared revenue, will also allow Milwaukee County to levy an additional sales tax and will allow the city of Milwaukee to, for the first time ever, enact a 2% sales tax to bolster its failing finances. State Senator LaTanya Johnson of Milwaukee was there. She likes it. For the city of Milwaukee, we were on the verge of insolvency. And for us, That meant that we would have to lay off up to 700 police officers, 250 firefighters. We would have to lay off 10 of our 12 library resources. 
and so many more of our vital services. But here's the thing. The Common Council still has to vote, and they need a two-thirds majority in order to levy that 2% sales tax. And you're hearing what I'm hearing. That's not a done deal. They may not have it. We know that at least seven aldermen were very critical of it, releasing a statement more than a week ago now saying, hey, this is borderline racist the way this is put together. So we're hearing that, but we're also hearing they're going to have a vote on July 11th. On the sales tax. And there are a lot of folks from Milwaukee, the mayor included, county executive included, who were both up there in Wausau for this bill signing, who are critical of many of the components, the strings attached, if you will, the things Mm -hmm. that city Mm -hmm. of Milwaukee will be compelled to do because of this deal that was made between Republican legislators and the governor. I guess two things on that. First of all, if you got complaints, take it up with your guy, because this is the deal that the governor brokered on behalf of Largely the liberal common council in Milwaukee. It was the best deal he thought he could get. Council isn't always in line with the mayor, however. Right. And so there's some of that going on. But here's the other thing. The second thing I want to mention is this happened. This bill is law. So all the stuff that Milwaukee doesn't like about it is happening already. So what, what point would you make by going ahead then and not doing the one thing that you so desperately wanted was that ability to increase revenue to save the city finances. I get it would be you know some sort of symbolic message. So do you think it might be lip service? I mean, they are considering some different legal actions. Would that be enough cover? Like, hey, say, you know, we don't like it, but we are going to vote for it and we are going to do some legal work to see if we can fight some of the provisions. See, I expected on that more the, the 200 level or the 300 level course on politics gets into the stuff you're talking about yeah. of the issue the press releases say i hate this about it i don't like this but, about it i don't like this about it but then ultimately that happens a lot by the way find enough votes to get that thing yes. to pass they need two-thirds and so i you know, that may be what's going on here i'm not getting that impression though i'm not getting that impression that the majority of these uh, you need two-thirds majority by the way to pass the sales tax you'll have to swing a couple and there is at least seven that were very critical of the plan that and, came out in a statement, released a statement right. about it a week ago. And being critical of the plan and the provisions within it that you don't like is, to me, separate from whether or not you go ahead and enact that sales tax. And you know, it's, it's tough for the city of Milwaukee residents to swallow because they're going to get it on the county end as well. So just like with the wheel tax if you live in the city of Milwaukee, you got a county wheel tax you're paying and a city wheel tax you're paying. Here you'll have an additional sales tax for the county plus 2% in the city. What did the council president say yesterday, though? You're looking at like $16 million at least a month? Every month they wait to go ahead and pass that. So I would count him, uh, President Perez, among those who, yeah, I don't like this. I don't like that. However, we got to do this sales tax thing. To me, they're separate issues. We'll see how it plays out in the coming weeks. Jordan Love, that is. So there was that video that popped up on social media. Jordan Love wishing Bears fans a happy Father's Day. Which it seemed like an awkward diss, maybe. Yeah, it did. <laughs> kind of felt like that, and there was a whole lot of, like, why, why is this happening? I'm your father, is <laughs> what I meant right. to say. Well, it turns out it wasn't any of that. WTMJ's Tony Cartagena talked with the guy who posted the video. Happy Father's Day to uh, all the Bears fans out there. Go Pack Go. It started off as a fun video that Packers quarterback Jordan Love recorded for a fan at a football camp over in France. And then the internet did what the internet does. 
and ran wild with an out-of-context quote. Some guys, whoever, I don't really care anyway, uh, took that video for, for themselves and, uh, and started spreading it. And obviously out of context because they didn't know what it was about and they, they all thought it was Jordan Law's genuine uh, video, which uh, it was not. Obviously, it was on my request and he kindly uh, <laughs> accepted it. That's Christoph, a father of two whose sons were participating in the football camp that Love and a couple other NFL quarterbacks were hosting over the weekend. Christoph is a Bears fan and when there was a break in the action, he politely asked Love just to record a friendly video for fellow Bears fans and NFL fans on Father's Day. No, as, as a person, honestly, he was uh, super cool to, to, to the kids and uh, everyone in that, in that camp. Uh, uh, he never shied away for anything, uh, signed autographs, obviously made some videos and uh, picked, well, photos with everyone asking. Um, that, that was really uh, a, a very cool moment. Bleacher Report posted an image saying, Jordan Love did not hold back with a crying eyes emoji. Barstool Sports sent out a tweet saying, Jordan Love accidentally wished all the Bears fans a happy Father's Day, implying he is their son. Christoph talked exclusively with WTMJ and wanted to set the record straight. You know, so, some people are, are well are talking about uh, what he said and how he said it in the video. What people need to understand, that was right in the middle of that camp with kids going all around and, uh, well, kids and all the kids okay but uh, still and and that was not the the purpose of making that 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 video so uh yeah that's uh, that's out of context and don't don't be rude with what he said or whatever because there is no need for that really love took to twitter on sunday afternoon and said was asked to do a special favor for this fan didn't think much of it lol but i see y'all really took it and ran with it Regardless, I hope everyone had a great Father's Day. Go Pack Go. In return, Kristoff, who has been a Bears fan since 1991 when he studied abroad in Illinois, had a message to Packers Nation. Uh, of course, I can also wish a happy Father's Day to all the, all the Packers. And uh, unlike uh, my friend Jordan said, uh, I would say bear down. Tony Cartagena, WTMJ News. Doesn't sound like Jordan Love was overly bothered by a lot of the reaction, nor should he have been. Oh, well. <laughs> Let's right. move It's on. just Twitter, man. Right. It's the least good. of his worries at this point. <laughs> right. Got other stuff to worry about. 644 on Wisconsin's Morning News. Brandon has sports next. Time for an update from the Gruber Law Office's One Call, That's All Sports Desk. Here's Brandon Snide. William Contreras knocked in the go-ahead two-run double in the seventh inning, and the Milwaukee Brewers completed their largest comeback win of the season to beat Arizona by a final score of 7-5. to five. The Brewers will go for the series win later this afternoon. Coverage gets underway right here on WTMJ beginning at 12.35. And the NBA draft is all set for Thursday night at 7 p.m. The Milwaukee Bucks owning just one selection, number 58 overall. It's time for Extra Points, a sports opinion commentary on Wisconsin's Morning News. Here's Brendan Snide. Life as a sports fan has changed. There's no doubt about it. The world and the world of sports are evolving right before our very own eyes. On Tuesday, the NFL announced its concerted efforts to double down and reinforce its policy on gambling after seeing a rise in player violations over the past few seasons. A few of the policy emphasis include no betting allowed in the NFL. Players and coaches are not allowed to play daily fantasy football, and players are not allowed to even enter a sport 
sports book during the active NFL season. That last one gets me thinking. Let me get this straight. The players can't participate in placing bets at the team's facility. Still, they can participate in the arena, which holds a sponsorship from a sports book, or in some cases, have a sports book located inside the stadium. In other words, the hypocrisy in the NFL strikes yet once again. It's an unpopular opinion for most, but sports gambling is and will continue to evolve as a thorn in the side of the NFL, where just years ago, the league thought fantasy football was the evilest of empires around. The league will undoubtedly keep searching for ways to make billions of dollars, as they already have, off of gambling, while at the same time continue to tell their employees not to. Hmm. If that doesn't sound like the NFL, I don't know what does. Coming up on 652 on Wisconsin's Morning News. We're coming up on about 24 hours that the folks in that missing submersible at the wreckage site of the Titanic can survive if they are even at this point still alive. And we may have heard from them. Yeah, so a Canadian aircraft detected underwater noises as they searched for this submersible. And it, it seemed like it was repetitious in a way that it appeared that Perhaps this was uh, human-made, if you will. So now they're trying to figure out if these noises can be identified and located, and so far, it doesn't look good. The timing is now absolutely critical, and ABC News confirmed that those noises were described as banging noises heard yesterday morning on sonar, but so far, they haven't found anything. ABC's Gio Benita, so nothing there there yet. But it sounds like the kind of thing that you would do if right. you know how bing, these bing, things bing, work, bing, bing, bing. like yep, yep. do a regular thing that sounds like a human-made noise, you know, bang on the side, mm-hmm. try to communicate in whatever way you can with these folks whom you hope are searching for you. So you have all of these different planes in the air dropping sonar equipment. You also have ROVs used in the water searching for them. We know that the Coast Guard is now using some remote-operated vehicles, those ROVs, robots, that are have cameras attached to them. They're tethered, and you can control them. You can move them in one direction or not. They have lights that can penetrate the deep darkness of the ocean. It's like Big Geek and Little Geek from the Abyss. You can kind of fly Oh, yeah, them. yeah, okay. So they're hoping they can use that, but that you're talking needle in a haystack type of situation because think of how giant the ocean is, then you have these tiny little ROVs with some lights on them, hoping that you might be able to stumble upon something. They've widened their search grid for this. So lots of different issues. Plus, there is the possibility that if they do find it, how do you get it out? So they've been trying to come up with different equipment that they can use. We were talking yesterday about the whole claw that you use at an arcade, you know, where you claw to pick up a a ball or a, a stuffed animal in one of those arcade boxes. Um, and how difficult that is to use the claw machine. Similar situation here. If you were to find it, using a claw machine is going to be very, very difficult. And to paint that picture for you again, they're telling us that this submersible that a number of tourists were on to visit the site of the Titanic, and it was a professional at the controls of this, but what? So five people total on Mm -hmm, board, mm -hmm. and it's about the size of a minivan. Yep. It could possibly be at the bottom of the ocean floor, and what is that, 13,000 feet yep, or something yep. like that? So think about the pressure 
down there. If you were sitting on the beach with a can of Coca-Cola, that can of Coca-Cola would be crushed like a ball at the very bottom of the Titanic. And it is that carbon fiber titanium sphere that is protecting the people that are going down to the site. Now, I had also heard that oftentimes when there is a default mechanism that is in place for an issue or a problem that comes with one of these watercrafts, they will instantly float to the surface. So it is possible that it's on the surface somewhere. However, here's the issue. Even if it is They can't get out. Even if that sub did rise to the surface and they're just floating, waiting to be rescued, that sub is actually bolted shut from the outside. So they need to be found because they are running out of oxygen. That's ABC's Gio Benita. So even if it's floating on the surface, still need to get out so they can breathe. This is not good. No. Like initially in that first day or so when we started reporting on this, you're like, "There's, there's hope. They'll find it. They'll figure it out. I mean, I, I'm... Yeah, this know. seems like a galactic design fail. Yeah. I mean, all the way across the board. No radios on board? Well, no, I think they have equipment. There's just been some issues there. We'll get to that. Actually, Debbie, it's a good point because there have been some concerns in the past over some of these See? submersibles. One thing to point out, though, so uh, we're hearing from a uh, Fran Capo, Capo, Fran Capo, an adventurist who went in a sub like this back in 2005, saying that, like, hey, look, it, those who are on board are being told, or at least were told, what to do in these situations. There's a bunch of survivor adventure people down there and need to go into survival mode, which means they're keeping the lights out. They're probably not talking. So, yeah, so they're, they're doing everything they're supposed to do in order to avoid using too much energy, avoid using oxygen and whatnot. Fran goes into more detail about when she went and saw the site. I'm an adventurer, and one of my adventures was in July 10th, 2005, I went down to the wreck site of the Titanic. At that time, it was only $35,000 to go down there, and so I got sponsors. Yeah, now it's a quarter of a million to go down there. Um, you had asked about the equipment. Uh, apparently, there has been issues in the past. In a lawsuit from 2018, a former employee of Ocean Gate Expeditions raised concerns about the safety of the sub at extreme depths. In the suit, a former employee raised concerns about the safety. The pressure at 13,000 feet is 100 times that at sea level, something the company's former director of ops warned about when he countersued Oceangate, claiming that he was fired after raising concerns. So now there are some issues. That dispute was settled out of court, but if red flags were raised earlier, what does that mean moving forward for this company? And what about, a lawsuit. Yeah, what yeah. about the comms issue, though? Like, why can't they communicate? Was I think it a loss of power yeah. to the vehicle Which would in make its entirety? It, that would make sense? Maybe be a breach. I mean, I, I think the biggest fear here is that they may never find this. You know, it's not like they might find it in two days with unfortunate deceased inside. I mean, they may never find this watercraft.